0: That I said is the best debt is there such thing as to have good debt or some type of debt I don't know I'm not a financial guy and I don't pretend to be one but we'll look at what the Bible says is a good debt to have but let's pray before we start Lord God uh, we do thank you for this glorious morning another day to live and to breathe and to move because you've given us this day so we thank you for that and And Lord God, we ask this morning as we come before your word that you would speak to us in a powerful way. Lord God, that you would show us how to live for your glory and your glory alone. And we pray this in Jesus name. Amen. All right. The best debt to have. I know we don't want debt. So this is you're like, what are we talking about here? Obviously, you don't mean what we think you mean. Well, let's look at what the best debt the Apostle Paul says to have, according to Scripture, And but before we go to that, if you remember, if you were here last week or if you're familiar with the book of Romans, Paul, in verse seven of Romans, chapter 13, just finished talking about giving reverence and fear and honor to whom it is due. And he's going to continue on with that theme about owing something to somebody. And this is where I get the title the debt that we should owe. He's basically saying this is a debt that is okay to have. So with that said, let's read verses 8 through 14, and then we'll come back and discuss them in detail. The Apostle Paul continues and writes, Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this you shall or for this you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal. You shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love the Lord, excuse me, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Do this knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now, salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone. The day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. So what's the Apostle Paul talking about here? As I mentioned, he's talking about a debt that we should owe, that it is almost like, hey, you should always owe this debt, is what he's saying. And that debt, he says in the very first verse in verse 8, is love. We should always be owing love. As a matter of fact, there's a quote from one of the early church fathers in your bulletin, and it says this, Let your only debt that is unpaid be that of love. A debt which you should always be attempting to discharge in full, but will never succeed in discharging. What is he saying? He's saying, hey, always owe somebody love, always trying to do it, knowing that you're never fully going to be you're going, never fully going to completely love the way God has called you to love. And I'm sure we'd all admit that. We don't love the way God expects us to love. And so this is why the apostle Paul is saying Oh, that thing. That's okay. Keep paying love. Keep paying it. If you remember in earlier in chapter 12, we talked about what love was. That this is that agape love, that love that is looking for nothing in return. And he says, owe it to one another. In context here, he's speaking of the church. He's saying, church, love one another. Owe that debt of love to one another. But by extension, as we go on and we'll see, he's talking about even those outside the church as well. So let's begin with this question. Why should we always be paying the debt of love? Well, I'm going to give you two reasons that are in the text, excuse me, three reasons, and then we'll come back and touch on each three. And that those three are this. So these are the main points. Why should we always be paying the debt of love? Number one, because we will be living a life of righteousness before God if we do so. Number two, It reminds us, the Christian, of our future, what's ahead of us. And we'll talk about that in a moment. And third and lastly, it will cause us to protect ourselves from sin. And again, we'll talk about each of those three in just one moment. And they're all found in this text before us. So let's look at the first one. Why should we always be paying the debt of love? As I said, we will be living a life of righteousness before God. This is what he says in verses 8 through 10. Again, let's read it. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. You're doing what God has called you to do. We're fulfilling the law. Well, how so? Look at what he says in verse 9. For this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal. And you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. The Apostle Paul is saying if you love your neighbor, especially those in the household of God, you're not going to commit adultery. If you love your wife or your husband, you will not commit adultery with somebody else. You're not going to murder somebody that you love. You're not going to steal from somebody that you love. And you're not going to covet what they have. You're not going to envy or desire what they have. This is why he's saying if you, do, if you truly love somebody or you love others, you won't do any of these things to them. And by, doing, by not doing that, you're fulfilling the law of God. And that's why he says in verse 10, love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. Real simple, the first, at least I think the first 10 verses. If you love somebody, you're not willingly going to hurt them. We hurt each other all the time, and I'll be the first to say, I, not these right here, let me say that. But I do things that upset my family or my wife or people that I know. Does that mean I don't love them? No, but I don't do it to them purposely because then I wouldn't be demonstrating my love for them. So this is what the Apostle Paul is saying. Owe the debt of love, so that you'll fulfill the law of God in doing what is righteous before God. You want to do what's right before God? Then love your neighbor. Start with that. Okay, let's continue on. The second one can be found in verses 11 through 12. Why should we always be paying the debt of love? Well, the second point is this: is it reminds us of our future. It reminds us of our future. In this context, here the next few verses, Paul over and over again alludes to the second coming of Christ, and this is the reason he says to love or owe the debt of love. Look at this. He goes, "Do this." Verse eleven. Do what? Love one another. Love your neighbor. Do this knowing the time, that it is already the hour for you to awake from sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone. The day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Okay, there's a lot here in verses 11 through 12. And so we're going to take most of our time this morning in these two verses. So he says right away, the reason that we love, we owe the debt of love, is to remind us of our future because he says we're living in the final days of God's redemptive plan. Since Christ has come, Christ has inaugurated the last days. And he says this with some few phrases here. If you notice the phrases, it seems like something's about to end and something's about to dawn. So let's look at these. There's four of them here. He says, you know the time. You know the time that it is in God's redemptive plan. You are at the final era in which you live. This is the era in which you live is the end, he's saying. If you remember Peter, if you're wondering, well, the first century was the last days, the beginning of the last days, how so? Look at Peter's sermon in the book of Acts, starting in chapter 2. He tells the church that these are the last days meaning the last era of God's redemptive plan. In Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 14, after uh, the people there in the city had witnessed the apostles and the disciples all speaking in tongues, Peter is going to explain what this means to them. And he stands up in verse 14 and says this, And Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judah and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose. If you remember, they thought, man, these guys must be drunk the way that they're speaking in this unknown language or unfamiliar language. And he says, no, they're not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day. It's early in the morning. They're not drunk. So he explains what it is. He says, but this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. And it shall be in the last days. God says that I will pour forth my spirit on all mankind and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days Pour forth my spirit and they shall prophesy. So the Apostle Peter tells them what we're seeing now is what the Old Testament prophet Joel said was going to happen in the last days. The last days were inaugurated right then and there at Pentecost. So this is the time that he's saying that they are living in now in Rome. He says, you know the time. That we're living in. That is, is the last days. So go back to our text. So that's the first hint that he's talking about the last days. Secondly, the second thing that he says, he says, knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. And he continues on. <clears throat> Let me find my place. Sorry. For, for now, salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. If he's talking to the church, they already have salvation. So what is he talking about? That our salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. He's talking about that final consummation. When they will get their new bodies, their resurrected bodies that the Apostle Paul talked about in chapter 8. That final consummation, well, sin will finally be eradicated. Complete salvation will be finished At the end of this era, the church era. And that's what he's talking about. The hour for you to, it's time for you to wake up. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. Again, another hint that he's talking about an era and a time that is upon them now. Looking at the next, in verse 12, look at verse 12 what he says. The night is almost gone. And the day is near. What is he talking about? Well, night is. In Scripture, usually, when it's used uh, metaphorically, is talking about darkness or the time when his evil is done. So in Scripture, when they talk about the evil, it's done in the darkness so that nobody sees. A lot of times in Proverbs, that's what he's talking about here. Or he could even be talking about spiritual blindness because it's darkened and they can't see what is before them. Either way, the time of the, dom- the, the domination will soon be over. He says the the night is almost gone and the day is near. What day? That day where this new era is inaugurated. And Christ alluded to that even beginning at the time of his coming, his first coming, this new era that now exists. And I'll show you two examples of that. First, turn with me to Luke chapter 4, verse 17. Luke chapter 4, verse 17. you remember it was Jesus as he was coming onto the scene and about to start proclaiming the kingdom of God, one of the first things that he did was go into the temple. And he grabbed a scroll, it says, here in Luke chapter 4. Look at verse 16. It says, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up and was his custom. He entered the synagogue in Sabbath, on the Sabbath. And he stood to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And he opened the book and found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. Example of the darkness. To set free those who are oppressed. To proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus had now come to open the eyes of the blind, the spiritually blind, those who were in spiritual darkness, thus inaugurating this new day. And then go back uh, one gospel to Mark chapter 4 and look at verses 12 through 16. Mark chapter 4. Oh, that's the wrong one. I did it again. Okay, let's never mind Mark. Just take my word for it. (laughs) <laughs> so in Romans going back to Romans now it was going to be another statement I just don't know where it was I put the wrong verse in I'm sorry Jesus is try- I was going to explain a little bit more on how this new day this new era has come and it's talking about the time that Jesus was opening the eyes of the blind so I'm sorry for that so the night is almost gone. This time where sin was dominating is almost gone, the Apostle Paul is saying. This new day has come. Jesus has come. It is first coming. And has opened the eyes of the blind. He's freed the captives, so to speak. And this is what the Apostle Paul is talking about. The night is almost gone. The day is near. And again, the word, that word day speaks of Christ's return and his final, consum- his final consummation at the end of time. His second coming, that day is almost here, the Apostle Paul is telling the church. He gave a similar exhortation to the church at Thessalonica that covers all of this. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 10, you'll see some of the same language that's used in Romans used here in Thessalonica. And Paul writes this, now as for the times and the epochs, brethren, you have no need of anyone to be writing to you. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness. See some of the same language there. That the day would overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness so then let us not sleep as others do but let us be alert and sober for those who sleep do not sleep do not excuse me do not do their sleeping at night and those who get drunk get drunk at night but since we are of the day let us be sober having put on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet the hope of salvation for god has not destined us for wrath but for obtaining salvation through our lord jesus christ who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another, just as you are already doing. So the same thing that he's saying here in Romans, he says here in First Thessalonians chapter five that there's a time coming, and it's already upon us that this new era of 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 salvation is coming to the church. The day is near. The night is gone. So this reminds us as we're loving our our neighbor and we're owing them a debt of love, it reminds us of our future, that we're living in these final days, so we should be loving people. We'll talk a little bit more about why, uh, what are the ramifications of that. Well, why should we love people just because it's the final days? We'll get to that in a moment. So going back to our text... That was a good verse I had, too, the one I can't remember. Sorry. <clears throat> so why should we pay the debt of love? Number one, we, are, we will be living a life of righteousness before God. Number two, it reminds us of our future. And number three, it will cause us to protect ourselves from sin. Will cause us to protect ourselves from sin. So, going back to our text now, before we go, with that I, I skipped something. I'm sorry. When he says our salvation is closer and closer each day, this is important, so I, I don't want to skip over this. What is he talking about? I mentioned that, hey, we've been saved already. How is it nearer and nearer? Again, that final consummation at the end. Paul is calling the church to wake up from their spiritual apathy. He's like, the day is coming. When our final salvation will be here, so wake up, he says. The night is almost gone, the day is near, therefore let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. It is already that final hour, he's saying, that final hour is upon us, the final era. So we need to wake up from our sleep, wake up from the spiritual apathy and be a witness to those that are around us. And this is why we love people because it reminds us of our future because one day it's going to be over. This is a time that we have now to be a witness to the rest of the world. Start loving our neighbor and living godly lives before them so that they will, that will be a witness to them and they will be drawn to Jesus Christ. Now we don't li- I want to make this point. We don't live godly lives to earn salvation He's talking to the church who already has salvation. He's saying, no, we do it to be a witness to the rest of the world. And so that's very important. I don't want to miss that point that, hey, we don't do all these good things so that we can earn salvation. No, he's saying, do them now that you have salvation. If you remember earlier when we were studying Romans and I talked about uh, this big dividing wall and that when we weren't saved, that Christ picked us up from one side of the wall and put us on this side, and we're there permanently, salvation. You can't go back. It's Now that you're here, divided by this wall, living for Christ, not going back to the other side, now live like you're on this side, is what he's saying. Live like you're saved. You're saved already, now live like it. I was thinking of that this morning uh, as we're children of God, I'm thinking of my kids. They're my kids. There's nothing that they can do that would unmake them my children. There's no sin that they could partake of that, that would cause me, you know, biologically to say, you're, you're no longer my child. The same thing is true for God. Once we're saved, so that's the first, you've got to be saved. Bets are all off if you're not saved. Once you're saved, you're his child. There's nothing you can do. There's no sin that you could commit once you're saved that would separate you from his love. And so that's important. He's like, you're saved, you're sanctified, you're justified. One day you're going to be glorified. But until that time comes, live like you're my child. Over and over, Scripture gives us that command. That we are children of the light, therefore walk as children of the light. And so that's important. But that salvation that he's talking about in the future... Is that final consummation where we receive our new bodies and we'll be living in the new heavens and the new earth? We're still waiting for that to happen. And so, now going to the third reason why we are to owe the debt of, of love is that it will cause us to protect ourselves from sin. It's like taking the best defense is a good offense, okay? In verses 12 through 14, he talks about this. Let's look at this as our last point. So he says, the night is almost gone, which we talked about. The day is is near. Therefore, so this is the application side. Therefore, because of what he's just said, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. So he's talking about being prepared for battle. Scripture over and over again talks about put, taking off and putting on. And the language he's using is like is clothing. Take off this old clothing that you were wearing. Or Christ actually took it off you and he's put it on his righteousness. So just picture that. You're putting on something. Don't you wish there was actually something we could put on that would protect us? I do. What is it? I want that outfit. So he says here, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness, taking off that clothing and laying it aside and putting on this armor of light. This is talking about being prepared for battle, putting on this armor. We cast off the works of darkness and put on this armor of light. And the armor of light is our righteous deeds that prepare us for battle and protect us in battle. So he's saying you take off those old deeds, the things that you used to, and you put on this new armor of light. Light is speaking of righteousness and our righteous deeds. He further explains this in verse 13 when he says, let us behave properly as in the day. Not in carousing and drunkenness and sexual promiscuity, sensuality, strife, and jealousy. He gives us six behaviors to discontinue as believers. Now, this isn't a exhaustive list. But he gives us six things that we should look at. He says, hey, now that you have put on this armor of light, you should behave properly. Again, behave like a child of God, that these other things should not be uh, known among you or shouldn't be your personality. This shouldn't be you. You shouldn't be a person, he's saying, that's out carousing If you think of that word, it's really talking about someone that's out there just partying, living it up, living for the day. This was even going on in the first century. You read this and you might be thinking he's thinking of the 21st century. But no, in first century Rome, obviously this was going on. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness. Somebody that's, that lives to get drunk. They cannot wait to get drunk. This is what he's talking about. Not in sexual promiscuity. I think that's self-explanatory. Just someone that's out there sleeping around. It's literally talking about someone that's going from bed to bed. That's not what we are to be known for. Sensuality. Similar to that. And lastly... He talks about strife and jealousy, somebody that's brawling, somebody that's full of envy. Again, this is not an exhaustive list, but he's just saying this isn't how the believer is to behave. This isn't somebody that's put on that armor of light isn't supposed to be known for these things. Instead, they're to behave properly. And this will will help prepare you for battle as you're doing the right thing this will help when battle, that spiritual battle comes. He doesn't stop there. In verse 14, he says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for the flesh. Another example of that putting on. So you put on the armor of light. You put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And what is that talking about? How do you do that? Didn't we put on Christ when we became believers? Yes, positionally, you are in Christ. This is talking about the day-to-day living for for Christ. I like what one commentator said in explaining what this means, how to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. He said to consciously embrace Christ in such a way that His character is manifested in all we do and all we say. It goes back to the very beginning of this section in Romans chapter 1 where it said, Be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind so i really believe that this putting on is almost it's a mental thing putting on christ you have to remind yourself i'm putting on christ i'm taking off this old clothing of of worthless deeds that i used to be known for and i'm putting on christ i need to renew my mind i need to think differently i need to be differently why not to be saved you're already saved so don't get me wrong it's so that you can Live for God on a daily basis. I mean, every day we have to remind ourselves, don't we? I'm a child of God. And, you know, sometimes like, no, I don't do that. I live this way. Sometimes it's, it's just that simple. It's not some magical formula. And that's why I said, I wish it was easy as just putting on this, uh, this Christian jacket or something. And I would do all the right things all the time. No, that's not what it is. It's a renewing your mind. I really think that's what it is. That's how we protect ourselves from sin. As we're doing the right deeds, it helps protect us from sin. Well, how does it, how actually does it protect us? Well, here in verse 14, he says, put on the Lord Jesus and make no provisions for the flesh in regards to its lust. We make no provision for the flesh. What is he talking about? It's like give no opportunity for our flesh to get a foothold in our lives if we're doing the right thing then the wrong thing doesn't creep in on us and again it's a conscious daily effort to embrace christ another commentator said this the redeemed person must be attuned to the savior he must exercise ceaseless vigilance lest the flesh prevails our flesh never goes to sleep does it it is always trying to creep up and tell us to obey its lust. And so we must be vigilant unceasingly, as this one commentator says. So what does that mean? It's different for each and every one of us. Each and every one of us struggles in different areas of our lives, and at different times it can di- differ as well. So that means maybe I don't you know, go to certain places where it causes my old nature to come up. Maybe I don't hang out with certain people for a certain amount of time, or whatever the case may be, you know what I mean. Because you know what, I tend to end up in the wrong place, think the wrong things, do the wrong things. So you make no provision. Very practical ways, just don't do that anymore. Don't be in that place. My father always used to tell me when I was a teenager, you have no business being in certain places at you know, after 9 or 10. But nothing good is happening. You're not having Bible study that late. I wasn't even going to church back then. But Very practical advice. What business do I have hanging out at the liquor store? I never did it, Dad. At 10, It was those other guys. After 10 o'clock, you're putting yourself in a place where you're going to get in trouble. We, continue, we can do that even now as believers. Again, being in certain places, watching certain movies, reading certain things. Hanging out with negative, having negative influences in our life that aren't going to help us grow spiritually. And again, it's different for each and every one of us. And it can even change throughout time. But that's how we just practically make no provisions for the flesh. Instead, as we're loving people, we're fulfilling the law of God, and we don't have to worry about the flesh coming into our lives, but we have to do it over and over again. So it will cause us to protect ourselves from sin. We will be prepared for that battle, and we will understand how to live as children of God. As we follow after God over and over again and prepare ourselves for that battle, we'll understand and we'll know the difference between right and wrong, good and evil. Well, how do we do that? I think Hebrews chapter 5 is a perfect example of this. Hebrews chapter 5 verses 11 through 14. I want to show you something here. I've read this numerous times because it's just when I when I've taught here just because it's so it just makes so much sense to me. It's one of my favorite verses. Uh Hebrews 11 through 14. He says this concerning him, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain. So he's really condemning the church here, the writer of Hebrews for kind of not growing in their faith. And and this is where we get that uh, saying that, you know, they they, they still need like milk. They're not growing. They can't eat the spiritual meat. He says concerning him, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers. So he's kind of scolding them. He said, you guys have been believers long enough that we should have graduated to a certain extent, that we are teaching others. He goes, for this time you ought to be teachers. You have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. So again, he's scolding them for not knowing the word of God, the word of righteousness. He's still an infant, so to speak. He says, but solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, and this is what I like, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. So you don't just automatically, when you become a believer, know good and evil. You have to train your senses through the word of righteousness. So we cannot neglect as believers the word of God, the study of the word of God, the reading of the word of God, getting God's word into us and then practicing it, living it out. That's the only way that we can discern good and evil. That's how you will understand how to live as a child of God. And as we do that, it's going to protect us from going backwards and falling into sin. Again, Paul said that this was the beginning of understanding God's will. If you remember back in Romans of this whole section, Romans chapter 12 again, in verse 2, let me read this verse to you. He says this, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, look at this, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. The way to prove what the will of God is is by having your mind transformed how do you transform your mind or what is transforming your mind the holy spirit is doing it through the word of god it's really that simple yet it is hard to do isn't it now if we're out there doing righteousness we have no time for doing the works of darkness i think this is what i meant when i said you know that good offense Having a good offense is the best defense. Our focus is on living for God, loving, owing that debt of love, then we don't have time to fall into sin. So my exhortation to you as a church is don't be idle. Don't think that, you know what, I'm just going to take a break for a little while with God. You know, I've been going to church, you know, 20 years I'm just going to take a little break, because guess what? Our enemy does not take breaks. He's waiting and looking for us to take a break, you know, to take advantage of us. You know, when we were up at our, at our men's retreat, I was remembering when we were doing, uh, uh, maybe you saw the pictures at Kendo, um, our brother was uh, letting us do that. It's like, so it's like sword fighting. I don't want to diminish it at all. But as I was doing it, and I was winning, by the way. Um, and I was watching, I was watching, I was, you know, we were fight. I'm holding it like I'm holding the kendo stick, sorry. But um, I was, I guess it's fighting. I was going to fight, or the other guy. And I was waiting for him to put his guard down. Just looking for that one opportunity so I could just, boom, right on the head. In love. To teach him a lesson. But I thought of that. That's what Satan does. He's ready. He's just waiting for you to drop your guard for one second so he can just, just go for you. And it might seem like, well, man, I always have to be on guard. Yes. The Bible says that. Be alert. He says it here in our text. Wake up. It, he says again that it is the, already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. His exhortation to the church is, wake up. Love. Owe oh, that debt of love so that you're doing what you're supposed to do. You're thinking of the future of what's coming to take place. And you're protecting yourself by doing what is right. Again, going back to that Kendo illustration, we had, I, had to, I protected myself by having a good offense, by going after that person so that they were always on their heels instead of letting him come for me. The same thing is true in our spiritual life. We have to continue to train through the Word of God so that we can discern good and evil and that we can protect ourselves and be prepared to battle. And again, all that starts by owing nothing to anyone except to love one another. Again, because you fulfill the law of God, it causes you to think of your future. Christ is returning, and I want to be a witness during the short time that I have, and it's going to protect you from falling into sin because you're focused on moving forward and not resting. Let's pray, Lord God. It's uh, we live in a tough world, and it, the days aren't getting easier, Lord God. In fact, it seems like our world is getting worse. That what is evil is becoming is coming to be called good and what is good is being called evil and sometimes Lord God it seems like we will not win that we are destined to fail but your word promises that greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world and so Lord God as believers we ask for your help we ask for your strength through the power of your Holy Spirit Lord, help us to love one another so that we might fulfill your law. And as we do that, that we would keep our eyes focused on your return. That it would keep us alert and we would be loving others as a witness and a testimony to your love for us. And Lord God, we would be loving others and doing what's right as an offensive, Lord God to keep ourselves from falling. So we ask for your help in doing all this. We know we cannot do it alone. We need your help. We need the help of the church, our brothers and sisters, to, be, uh, to rally around us and pray for us. And so I pray, Lord God, for my brothers and sisters this morning that you would help them in these areas, Lord God. If there's any area where they're struggling, where they always fall into temptation, Lord God? May they put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. Help us with that, Lord God. I'm so thankful that when we fall, you are there to forgive us if we come back and repent of our sins. So we're sorry, Lord, when we fail. We ask that you would forgive us, that you would strengthen us so that we can continue to move forward for your glory. We pray this and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.